What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Fireside Giants. I'm your host, Anthony Rivardo, joined by my co-host, Alex Wilson. The Super Bowl is over, so it's officially mock draft season. Pro Football Focus released a two-round mock draft following the Super Bowl, and the New York Giants ended up taking an offensive tackle in the first round, addressed wide receiver in the second, got themselves a pass rusher in the third. We're going to go ahead and discuss this mock draft and kind of give you our takes on each of those three selections and really have a broader discussion about what the New York Giants need to do in this upcoming draft. And that's where I'm going to start out this conversation by saying the Giants, the more mock drafts that I see, two-round mock drafts, three-round mock drafts, five-round mock drafts, I get more of a sense of how much draft capital this New York Giants team has and how much valuable draft capital has. You are talking about a team with a top 10 pick, two second-round picks, meaning three top 50 picks, and the 70th pick in the third round, so four top 100 draft picks. And so I'm going to start this off by saying the New York Giants have no excuses not to be a better football team in 2024. The amount of valuable draft capital that they have, they have no excuses not to find four potential impact starters in this draft. They have to, uh, top 100 picks, top 100 players are expected to play very early and make an impact. The Giants have four of those. And on top of that, they have three top 50 picks. They need to walk out of this draft class with some serious talent. It's do or die time for this New York Giants team after missing the playoffs this last season with a historically bad offense. We know Brian Dable and Joe Shane, their backs are against the wall and they have a lot of draft capital to right this ship and fix this. But if they don't, I don't know what to say because they really have so many opportunities afforded to them through this NFL draft class. So as we go into this mock draft, give our takes on it. In my opinion, if this is how the mock, if this is how the draft shaped out, like this mock draft, this would not be maximizing the value of those picks. So that's going to be part of this conversation. But really, I just think it's so important for the Giants. You can't mess this up. You have to be a better football team in 2024 when you have this much new talent coming in, fresh young players, really high draft picks. This should be a really exciting offseason for the New York Giants. They should be able to land some serious talent in April during the draft. But again, hitting on those picks, it's easier said than done. The draft is always a crapshoot. But this year, it needs to happen for the New York Giants. So that's going to be part of the conversation that we have in today's episode. But before we dive into all that, make sure to leave a like if you do enjoy this episode. Subscribe to the channel if you are new. Ring the bell so you don't miss the episode. Comment your thoughts on the topics down below in the comment section. If you're listening to Apple or Spotify, please make sure to leave us a five-star review. And go ahead and follow us on all of our social media channels at Fireside Giants. But without further ado, Alex, how are you doing today, my friend? And before we officially dive into the mock draft and react to the first-round pick, I do want to hear your take on that. Just the amount of draft capital the New York Giants have and how with four top 100 selections, they better be getting some serious impact players. Otherwise, Brian Dable and Joe Shane are going to be in trouble. Well, yeah, you, you kind of said it. It's uh, This draft class is stacked full of talent, my friends. The wide receiver class, stacked. You know, Obviously, we know the quarterbacks. We talked about them a billion times. There's some really good tackles at the, at the top of the first round, some really good depth uh, you know, interior guys also in the second round, and there's some really good pass rush talent. Not as much first-round pass rush talent as second-round pass rush talent, but guys with really solid upside nonetheless. So, look, the truth is simple. You know, The Giants, the first draft class that we had under Joe Shane, a lot of injuries that first rookie season for a lot of those guys. We haven't seen them kind of blossom just yet. Um, the second year, last season, some really solid young players. Deontay Banks headlining the group obviously was really, really solid during his rookie season. Um, and we're hoping to see them continue to grow and set the foundation. But the truth is simple. Like, we need to hit this one out of the park. You know, we need to really destroy this draft class. This has to be a draft class where the rookies make an impact and they are not just 
just contributors, but top flight contributors at some positions. The Giants have the sixth overall pick. You have to land a blue chip prospect there. You know, trading back, um, a lot of people may suggest they want to do that. You give you forfeit the right to a blue chip prospect by trading back from six, unless you move back to like. And, and here's here's a thought: um, a lot of people love JJ McCarthy. The Falcons may be interested in drafting him. Maybe you you trade back to eight. They take JJ McCarthy. You still are in range within um, getting yourself a blue chip prospect, and you probably get their second round pick in addition. Um, so I kind of feel like there are ways for the Giants to still land a top tier prospect. You can still walk away with, with uh, Neighbors or Bowers or Joe Alt or Fashanu, and we're going to talk about some of those in those uh, tackles. But you know the Giants have options. This is not going to be one of those off seasons where it's like this is exactly what they're doing, and then we already know it's locked in. They have so many avenues they could go, whether it be moving up, moving back, staying still, taking the myriad. Of different players. Look, if there's no quarterback on the board, Anthony, I think they're probably just going BPA. And BPA could be a tie between Malik Neighbors, Joe Alt, and Brock Bowers. It's going to be, okay, well, what position do we need the most? And then they go with that position. Like, that's really what it can end up being. Um, you know, there's so many options. But for the Giants, we know that their biggest weakness is offensive line. Now, uh, we're going to talk about the player the Giants take in this PF PFF mock draft. And the truth is, the Giants spending a third um, top 10 pick in 40 years on an offensive tackle is simply bad business. It's not how you build a roster. If you keep throwing the same draft capital at the same position, what does that tell you? Well, to me, it says we can't develop the freaking players. Evan Neal, we flopped hard trying to develop. Andrew Thomas seemingly was a miracle. It seemed like he did it on his own. The overturner offensive uh, line coach, yet he still manages to become a top-tier left tackle. Seems like he kind of did it himself. Um, Evan Neal, obviously, unfortunately, has not become that. And now spending another draft pick, top 10 on it, it's like, come on, like how many... You know, do we have to throw out the position until we finally figured it out? I'd rather spend a little bit of money at right tackle than, um, you know, spend a first-round pick. But unless you kind of dive into where the Giants go with this, what you think about it, if you think it's the right move or you think maybe it's a it's a kind of a poor way to utilize the sixth overall pick. Yeah, so in the first round of this PFF mock draft, they had the New York Giants taking Notre Dame offensive tackle Joe Alt at six overall. So uh, the quote on that was, as much as I don't believe Joe Shane is giving up on Evan Neal, it feels like the question mark Neal now presents at tackle is too big to pass on Alt if the Notre Dame product is available. So Joe Alt, widely considered to be the best offensive tackle prospect in this draft class, is considered a blue chip prospect, as you kind of alluded to, Alex. Uh, a lot of NFL scouts and evaluators and draft analysts Analyst, they think that he's the real deal day one starter at the offensive tackle position. Now, one catch to that is he was a left tackle in college. So once again, it would be one of those situations where the New York Giants are drafting someone on the left side of the line, transitioning to them to the right side of the line and hoping that that just pans out. And it hasn't panned out for Evan Neal. He's struggled immensely making that transition from the left side to the right side. And that's why we're even talking about potentially drafting Joe Alt with a number six overall pick. My take on Joe Alt at six, not the right selection for the New York Giants. And you kind of mentioned why, Alex. It's because the Giants have gone ahead and invested a ton of draft capital into their offensive line, more than any other team in the NFL over the past several seasons. You're talking about two top 10 picks on the offensive line with Andrew Thomas, who did pan out, and Evan Neal, who so far has not panned out, though, like I've said many times on this podcast, I think moving him into left guard might be the way to get him to pan out. But I digress. Then you're talking about third round picks, fifth round pick, you're talking about Josh Azidu, Marcus McCathan, if you want to go back a little further, 
uh, Shane Lemieux, there's been a lot of draft capital burned on this offensive line. And so far, that strategy has not paid off. So the way that I see it, the New York Giants building this offensive line this offseason, or at least reinforcing it, it's not going to happen through the draft. It's going to happen through free agency. Another player that I forgot to mention, their second round pick last year, John Michael Schmitz at center. So you've got these young guys who are still developing, and you need to let them develop. You can't keep putting new young guys in to replace other young guys. You've got third-round picks like a Josh Azidu, who they stunted his growth, in my opinion, by moving him to left tackle in a pinch to fill in for Andrew Thomas. Josh Azidu was training only at guard the entire offseason, the entire training camp period, only training at guard. Andrew Thomas gets hurt. The first player that they decide to plug in at left tackle is Josh Azidu. He wasn't practicing at that position. That definitely stunted his growth and hurt his confidence, in my opinion. That was a poor decision from the Giants coaching staff. But this kind of ties it to my larger point of the Giants do have young, talented players on this offensive line, and they're not developing them properly. So adding more young talents to kind of push those other young talents down the depth chart, first of all, kind of morally bad. <laughs> and second of all, it's counterproductive. So I think that the Giants have these young guys who are developing. In order to get a better offensive line in front of the quarterback, whoever it is, they need to go ahead and sign players of free agency, veteran players who can play as quality starters in front of these young guys while these young guys continue to develop and eventually take over as a starters. Because I think that Josh Azito is a good player. I'm just using him as an example. There's other examples on this roster. Josh Azito is a good player who hasn't been allowed to properly develop in full as a guard at the next level. Injuries have been a problem. Moving him across the offensive line has been a problem as well. But if you were to sign a really high-quality left guard in free agency this offseason on a two-year deal or a one-year deal, give it a year or two and let Josh Azidu continue to develop, and he should be able to take over that starting job eventually. He was a third-round pick, so you expect those guys to play and become starters at some point. Uh, and then the other part of it is you've got these young players, and I think that the Giants have just been very impatient with these players. I, I appreciate that they're trying to be patient with Evan Neal. They're not writing him off. They're not looking to trade him. They're not going to cut him, anything like that, even though he let's face it, has been bad enough where if he wasn't a first-round pick, he would be cut because that's what his performance has dictated. But I do think that there's something to be said about the New York Giants being patient with these guys and not instantly drafting their replacements when they don't pan out in one to two seasons. There's a few factors at play here. First of all, offensive line is one of the toughest positions to play at the next level compared to the collegiate level. You're facing a different class of pass rushers, a different class of run defenders, a different size profile, and a different talent level when you go from college to NFL while you're playing on the offensive line. So that needs to be accounted for. You have to give those, times, those guys time to develop. And then on top of that, when you are an offensive lineman and you are stepping into the NFL playing on a bad offensive line with bad players around you, veteran or young, that stunts your growth and prevents you from developing properly. So the Giants have just overall not been a good situation for young offensive linemen, and they still aren't. So throwing more young offensive linemen into this bad situation is pretty much just putting more young football players' careers in jeopardy and not doing anything totally productive to improve this offensive line. So while I believe Joe Alt is a blue-chip offensive line prospect, I do believe that there are going to be other blue-chip prospects on the board at other positions that the New York Giants should be prioritizing in this draft class. Joe Alt is excellent. But even still, you'll see rookie offensive linemen, blue chip offensive linemen struggle as rookies. And right now, with the 
feelings surrounding this New York Giants team, if they were to draft an offensive tackle early who did not immediately make an impact in year one, this fan base would be up in arms, would start rioting, and that would do so much damage to not only the team, but to that specific player that the Giants drafted. Because we saw how Giants fans were very vocal about Evan Neal and his struggles and how that got under his skin, caused him to say bad things in the media and ultimately play worse. Putting another young guy in the situation is just not the right move. They gotta get some veteran experience, somebody that you know what you have there. Even if it's a good player, like a, a really good prospect, there's a good chance that they struggle as a rookie because making that transition from college to the pros on the offensive line is one of the most difficult transitions that you can make in the entire sport. So the way that I see it, taking Joe Alt at number six, yes, he's a blue chip player and I've been advocating for staying at six so that you can get a blue chip player. However, at that particular position, I do not think that's the solution for the New York Giants to fix their offensive line this upcoming offseason. I think it needs to happen through free agency. Yeah, I agree with you. And I wrote this morning about um, the idea of going out and signing a guy like Jermaine Illuminor. And, you know, we've talked about him consistently over the last couple of weeks. And the truth is this. The Giants can address right tackle with Jermaine Illuminor at about $7 million per season. That's a one, about $1.2 million, $1.3 million more than they'll have to, you know, that they'll have to spend. Um, for example, you can cut Mark Lewinsky, save $5.7 million. For $1.3 million more, you can sign Jermaine Illuminor, who's a starting right tackle and already has experience in our blocking scheme under the leadership of Carmen Burcillo. So... I feel as though that's more efficient because, listen, Joe Alt is a, you, you kind of said it, is a left tackle. He has never played right tackle before. You're asking a guy who's supposed to be a walk-in starting left tackle in the NFL to now change his entire position. You don't draft a guy that plays left tackle at an elite level to play right tackle. You know what I mean? Like, you draft those guys to be elite left tackles. The Giants have one of those. You pay a free agent uh, to, to protect the not division side of your quarterback, in my opinion, right now. We already tried to go down there with Evan Neal. I think we throw a little bit of money at that position. You can solve right tackle with a guy with experience in our system in Illuminor and then spend the, the sixth overall pick on another position, whether it be Malik Neighbors, Odunze, Brock Bowers, whatever. You can add a, an elite uh, prospect at the receiving position um, or the tight end position if you want to go down that route. And like, for example, and a lot of people are against Brock Bowers for some strange reason, but like the reason you shouldn't be against Brock Bowers is because if we run it back with Daniel Jones, he's far better off having an elite tight end than an elite receiver because I just don't think he can maximize an elite receiving talent. We've never seen him do it. I think he's actually a lot um, there's a lot more of a chance that he maximizes a top flight tight end than he does a, a receiver. And the, the Giants tried to do that with him and Darren Waller. Unfortunately, injuries to both players derailed that entire equation. But think about like Evan Ingram. Like he looked, Evan Ingram just dropped a lot of passes, but Daniel Jones fed Evan Ingram every single game, like six or seven targets. You know what I mean? Imagine Brock Bowers who can actually catch the ball and run routes like a receiver. Like, I think people are underestimating just how good Brock Bowers would be in this offense if they did run it back with Daniel Jones, let alone any quarterback. He's a guy that you can trust to make those plays. The, the Chiefs run their offense through Travis Kelsey, and look look what happens. You know what I mean? Like, they don't even need receivers. Um, they have Rashi Rice, and like that's the only guy they throw the ball to aside from Travis Kelsey. Um, occasionally, McCole Hardman, apparently. So, you kind of see... Great teams have really good tight ends. Um, you see most of the great playoff teams have good tight ends. George Kittle, Sam Laporta, Travis Kelsey, the Giants. And, like, listen, Darren Waller's just injury-prone. I would not be upset. If the Giants signed Jermaine Luminor to play right tackle and drafted Brock Bowers, 
you I don't think you guys understand how great he would be for this offense. You know, he opens up the the seams. He is a tremendous route runner from the from the tight end spot. He's a little bit small, but he plays 110% effort. Look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I wouldn't want Malik Neighbors or Dunze either because both those guys are blue chip prospects. I would love any three of those players, but don't sleep on Brock Bowers. That guy is one of the best, if not considered the best tight end college football has ever seen. Um, so, you know, what are your thoughts on that? If you if you decided to go to free agency, Illuminor at right tackle, you spend a little bit of money, you basically just flipped Mark Lewinsky's contract into Jermaine Illuminor, and then you drafted a blue chip prospect at six that's not an offensive lineman. You know, I, I want you to give your take on Brock Bowers. I know you're a fan of his as well. What do you think people are underrating him? Because I've seen a lot of people in my comments like, no Brock Bowers, and I really don't understand why. I think the reason why is because he's a tight end, and that's just what's holding him back. But certain players kind of exceed the limits of their own position. I think that a recent argument that we can make is Micah Parsons. That's a good comparison because he was a linebacker coming out in the 2021 NFL draft, and everybody was like, no, you don't draft a linebacker that high. Linebackers don't go that high in the draft. He's not worth taking because of his position. Well, once he got to the NFL playing for the Dallas Cowboys, he was a hybrid linebacker that also lines up as an edge rusher. Edge rushers go in the top five and the top 10, and he's proven to be one of the best players in the NFL on the defensive side of the ball. So there is an argument to be made about Brock Bowers where he is so good that he's not just a tight end and he shouldn't be valued as just a tight end. Uh, he should be valued as a playmaker. I think that that's a nice blanket word that you could throw on these guys who do exceed the limitations of their position. So with Brock Bowers, what he can do for an offense is pretty special. He can be a receiving threat at every level of the field. He opens things up in the running game, not only as a, a capable blocker, but also just because if you want to run those RPOs with him, if you want to have him run up the seam on a draw, you've got to pull a linebacker out of the play with him. He does a lot for your offense uh, just being there and being present on the field. And I'll give credit to one of the viewers of this channel, uh, Ian Slattery, messaged me on Twitter to give his take on Brock Bowers and kind of mentioned how he does a lot with yards after the catch and kind of pointed out that a team that faces a lot of blitzes because they have a bad offensive line, having a tight end who runs to the flat quickly, catches the ball, turns up field, and creates yards after the catch can be super valuable. So not only is he just a valuable player that kind of goes above and beyond the expectations of a tight end, but in our offense in particular, which has a lot of pressure facing the quarterback because of bad offensive line play, if you're being blitzed a lot, that hot read is very important. The Giants don't have a lot of quick separators on this team. They don't have an outside receiver like a Devontae Adams who has a quick release package and gets open. So having a Brock Bowers who you can quickly throw the ball out to in the flat or on a drag or on a hitch, that's very valuable. So Good point by one of our viewers there, um, Ian Slatterly, and I agree with uh, that take, and I think that Brock Bowers, just generally speaking, if he is the pick at six overall, I know that some Giants fans are going to be upset because they don't want a tight end at six, but for me personally, this guy isn't just a tight end. He's a very talented player. Would I take him over Malik Neighbors? Probably not, but if the Giants do take him over Malik Neighbors, I'm not going to be up in arms about it. I'm going to see where they're coming from and say that, hey, Brock Bowers, blue chip player, there's going to be NFL talent evaluators that think he could be a Hall of Fame talent, if that's how you feel. Like, if you remember back when Dave Gettleman said, we want a gold jacket guy with a number two overall pick, and he took Saquon Barkley, that might be the same line of thinking that teams have when they take Brock Bowers inside the top 10, if they do. But again, he might fall because of his 
position and that's reasonable as well but let's move on into the second round of this mock draft Alex and talk about who the Giants took at number 39 overall they took Texas wide receiver Adonai Mitchell AD Mitchell a player that's gotten some interesting player comparisons uh, in this pre-draft process and has a very mixed draft stock I would say you have some scouts and draft analysts who think he's a first round talent. You have some guys who will go as far as to say he's a top three wide receiver in this class. You have other guys who say he's a fringe top 10 receiver in this class. There are certain things that you love about A.D. Mitchell's game. He's six foot six or six foot four rather, um, six foot four, 200 pounds. He's got some really smooth routes, a great separator, but he's not the fastest after the catch, doesn't make a whole lot of plays with the ball in his hands. I don't know. He's kind of one of those divisive talents, in my opinion. But if he is there on the board for the New York Giants in the second round, and they do take him at number 39, one thing that you have to like about that pick, even if you don't like the pick in general, one thing that you have to like, he is finally bringing size to the Giants wide receiver core. And they are lacking size. Their biggest receiver, like actual outside wide receiver, their biggest one is Darius Slayton. And he's only 6'2", and he's pretty slight in his frame. So getting a big muscular receiver who can be a huge red zone threat for you like AD Mitchell, that would provide a lot of value to the New York Giants offense. So Alex, what is your take on AD Mitchell? I know obviously we're going to continue to evaluate these guys and give our full like kind of scouting reports and opinions on them later in the draft process, but kind of early on in this process, looking at AD Mitchell and what he could provide to an offense, why do you think he might be an exciting pick or maybe wouldn't be an exciting pick for the New York Giants in the second round? Yeah, I mean, look, a lot of people, there's a lot of people out there that think Mitchell is the top receiver in this draft class. Like, it's crazy enough. Uh, over in Neighbors, Odunze, people think that. Um, and they a lot of people correlate his skill set to C.D. Lamb. I personally don't see it. I know, Anthony, you don't see it either. Um, there's some things he does great, but C.D. Lamb is elite after the catch. Uh, Adonai Mitchell is not. And if you want any further proof of that, he ranked 447th, 447th in yards after the catch. Uh, with 3.2 yards after the reception. So he's not going to do a lot for you after that catch. However, the dude has hands of steel. He had one drop this past season. Um, He catches everything that goes his way, and he played a lot of reps on the outside, over 511 pass snaps. He had 417 out wide and 94 in the slot, so he can move in and out, but primarily he's a a boundary guy. Six foot four, as you mentioned, and what you like the most about him, he's 21 years old, so he's got a lot of room to grow. Um, And by the way, Brock Bowers, also 21 years old. So, you know, these are young guys that have bright futures ahead of them. I don't know Mitchell could develop into a very solid player. Not saying he couldn't. More so just there are concerns that I have. Um, If you're in the second round, maybe you want to go Xavier Leggett over him. But again, Mitchell is very, very good. Um, Does not drop the ball very often. But there are some concerns that I will list right now. Missed tackles forced. Tied for 263rd with only six. He only had eight deep catches, um, which is tied for 87 in college football College football this past year. Doesn't get many screen passes, so you're not going to use him that many uh, times there. And he only made four contested catches. He gets open. Um, he catches things that go his way. But it's very evident to me, based on the numbers, that uh, you know Texas did, just did not use him kind of as a versatile piece. They used him more as like, this is how what you're good at, and this is how you're going to be used. And like, I think most teams should do that. This is how this is what you're good at. These are your strengths. 
let's exercise those strengths. And for Adonai Mitchell, you can certainly do that because his strengths are really freaking good. But he also has vulnerabilities to his game. He's not going to do after much after the catch. He's not like elite when it comes to contested catches. He doesn't do much downfield. But that's only in Texas's scheme. That could change at the NFL level. You know, they could see say to him, you know, we want to push you downfield more. He's not the fastest guy in the world, but he has really good hands. You know, you want to expand your game, expand your route tree. And look, like I said, 21 years old, second round pick. You're not drafting him to be um, OBJ on on day one. You're not drafting him to be Justin Jefferson. You're drafting him because you see some a couple of elite traits that you can, and then you can develop his weaknesses into decent um, kind of variables of his game. And, you know, as a second round pick, you're always looking for the upside. So getting Mitchell in the second round, I'm a hundred percent down for that. would love it. Um, but don't expect him to be like a WR one on day one. He may never get to that status, but he does have the tools to become a very solid receiver at the NFL level. And the giants, as you said, need size on the outside. I think he does have the ability to become a number one wide receiver in the NFL because I see a lot of the comparisons to uh, CeeDee Lamb. I don't see them. I don't agree with them. CeeDee Lamb at Oklahoma was, like, untackleable after the catch. Like, he was just absurd with the ball in his hands, and he still is really good at that uh, in the NFL level. Uh, And also, I don't think the size profile matches up. CeeDee Lamb is a lanky 6'2", and I think that A.D. Mitchell had a more stocky 6'4". I just don't see it personally with that comparison. But I do see a lot that I like about A.D. Mitchell, and I think that a better comparison would be Michael Thomas, New Orleans Saints. He was a wide receiver one for a few years, not exactly the player that he used to be. Injuries kind of caught up to him and uh, dragged his career down. But if you remember Michael Thomas coming out of Ohio State, when he was playing for the Saints in his prime, he wasn't great after the catch. He wasn't very fast, but he was always open. And I know they called him Slant Boy or whatever, but he would take those slants and then he would run them. And then all of a sudden, they bite down on the slants, and he's gone for a sluggo. So he did have a big playability because he was a big-bodied outside wide receiver with really refined route running skills and excellent hands. That's how you describe Michael Thomas back then. That's exactly how I would describe A.D. Mitchell. So if you like the idea of the Giants getting an elite possession receiver, somebody who gets open and has a big body and a big frame to throw the ball to, also makes plays in the red zone, you're going to like A.D. Mitchell for the Giants. And I do think that he fits a lot of needs for this Giants offense, needing a possession receiver, needing a red zone threat, needing a good route runner on the outside. He does those things. So A.D. Mitchell to the Giants is not a take or not a pick that I would be upset by by any means. I think he would be a great player for the Giants. However, I just don't, I'm not as high as a lot of people are. I don't see the C.D. Lamb comparisons. I don't see him as this dynamic player. I see him as a player who's very good at doing specific things, and he's going to do them at a really high level in the NFL, and therefore he's going to be a very good player in the NFL. I just don't see certain comparisons. But the way that I described him there, I think I like the best. More similar to a Michael Thomas, not super fast and not a lot after the catch, uh, but he gets his ass open. He doesn't drop the football and he just runs some really solid routes with some big size, which makes him a very easy target for any quarterback, whether you're talking about an inaccurate quarterback, (laughs) Daniel Jones, or a very accurate pinpoint quarterback like Jaden Daniels. So uh, you've got a really nice, solid wide receiver to throw to if you're if you have A.D. Mitchell in this Giants offense. But moving on to this third um, pick that the New York Giants made in this two round mock draft, Alex, finally addressing uh, the defensive side of the ball here, going with Austin Booker, Kansas edge rusher. I'd be lying if I said I knew a lot about him. I don't know a whole ton about him. What I do know, he's six foot six, 240 pounds, plays with a lot of power, had eight sacks this past season, was PFF's highest graded Big 12 edge rusher with an 82.2 overall grade. 56 total tackles, 12 tackles for loss, two forced fumbles. Way I understand him to be, nice mix of power and size, and also a nice mix of run defending qualities plus pass rushing qualities. So I do think that there's some value there for the Giants. Now, you could argue that 
Um, maybe the Giants need to go more towards a pass rusher who's a pure pass rusher because their pass rush was really bad this past season. 34 total sacks, ranked 29th in the NFL. However, I think with a guy like an Austin Booker, if you're looking at the New York Giants' new scheme that's going to be taking place here or taking shape here with Shane Bowen as their new defensive coordinator, Austin Booker kind of perfectly fits that mold. And I'll tell you why. The Giants this past season under Wink Martindale were playing a very attack-heavy 3-4 defense. So those edge rushers needed to be very good pass rushers with kind of more of a coverage capability. That's why Kayvon was dropping back into coverage so much because there was a lot of disguised blitzes in this scheme. But now in this hybrid multiple front defense that's going to be running a lot of 4-3 and 3-4, not only do those edge rushers need to be able to stand up as outside linebackers and get after the quarterback, they really need to be able to put their hand in the dirt, set the edge, and create plays or, or plug gaps in the running game. So having a six foot six, 240-pound edge rusher in Austin Booker out of Kansas on your edge makes him a perfect fit in Shane Bowen's defense in particular. So I'm not over the moon over this, you know, projected pick, but I think it makes a lot of sense for this defense in particular. Shane Bowen running that multiple front. These edge rushers are no longer just pass rushers in this defense. They are very much run defenders. Four, three uh, edge rushers are defensive ends. Like they've got their hands in the dirt. They play that five tech. When you're in the 3-4, yeah, they're going to be standing up and they're going to be in the two-point stance rushing the quarterback. But having a guy who has the size profile to do both of those things and is a good run defender plus pass rusher, Austin Booker does make a lot of sense for Shane Bowen's defense in particular. Alex, what is your take on Shane Bowen, or um, not Shane Bowen, on Austin Booker as a potential number 47 overall pick for the Giants? Well, listen, we need pass rushers. Uh, we need him bad. Even if he ends up becoming a depth piece in year one, he has tangible traits you want to develop. What I like the most about Austin Booker is that he actually sounds like Austin Booker. Austin Booker, he actually has a lot of those tools that you want um, on a day one type of guy. You know, he has speed, he has power. And the thing I love the most about his mentality, he's aggressive. You know, we see a lot of times these Giants pass rushers, like how many times have we seen Kayvon Thibodeau disappear for like a whole game? And we're like, where was he? Like, what happened to him? Like, he doesn't look like he's putting in maximum effort. And look, we love Kayvon Thibodeau and we know he does everything he can, but sometimes it's like, where did he go? This dude, Austin Booker, every single play is 110% um, effort. And, and you know, you remember guys like, for example, JPP. What made JPP so special aside from his insane, like, wingspan and reach and power? He, every single play was 150%. Um, and I love that about players. This is one of those guys that has that type of mentality. Uh, recently, he did a little interview with Devin Jackson, or some reporter or whatever, uh, for the Philly Inquirer. And he said this, I try to take the fight to the offensive lineman. Offensive tackles like space. They like to be comfortable, and I try to take that away. Second off, I look at their shoulders, whether they're vertical or whether they're flat. They're flat, and then I'm going to take the edge, and I'm using my speed. And if they're working vertical, then I'm going to use work up the field first and then work my counter. So this is the type of guy that, like, he has multiple moves in his repertoire, and he will set a tackle up early in a game to use another move in, in a couple plays later or a couple, a couple drives later. Like, he is working those different moves to that way prepare for the fourth quarter, prepare later on to win that rep. Um, you know, he is always, he's a smart player. He'll disengage if the pocket is collapsing and he'll, you know, wait for the quarterback to emerge and he'll, you know, pursue. He's solid in run defense. Like I, this is the type of guy on day three, um, rather on day two, if you're getting a, if you're getting the third round, this is an easy pick for the third round, but probably not going third, more likely a second round pick. If you're going with the giants, their second, second round pick. Um, this is a guy with all the tangible tools. He could probably start for you on 
day one of his rookie season alongside Kayvon Thibodeau, or at least push Aziz Ojolari for that starting job. And at this point in time, we need to provide competition to unseat Ojolari because Ojolari is injury prone. We know this. It's Now it's cemented in stone. We need someone that's going to give him a run for his money to take that job. And Austin Booker out of Kansas, really solid player, a lot of good tools, good mentality, aggressive. He has a pretty decent understanding of how to beat um, offensive tackles. Of course, NFL is a different ball game, but you know he's young, a lot of upside there. Those that, This is exactly what you're looking for in a day two guy, a guy with a lot of upside. Agreed with that. I think that upside is paramount when drafting in those first few rounds. I mean, listen, the Giants, they, they took a player, I think, I think in last year's draft is a good example where in round two, they took a player who maybe didn't have the most upside, but had a very high floor, and that would be John Michael Schmitz. And then in the third round, they took a player with the ultimate upside and maybe a lower floor, with which was Jalen Hyatt. So I think that Joe Shane does have a pretty good understanding on how important upside is versus balancing that with prospects who maybe are a little bit more proven and a little bit more traditional uh, and ready to compete from day one. So I think that there's a lot of talent in these first three rounds. If I had to give this mock draft a grade, I would probably give it about a C plus. I don't like offensive tackle in the first round, guys. I think that's going to be a take that I have and I stand firm on from now until draft season. I don't want to see the Giants taking an offensive tackle with their number six overall pick. I just don't think it makes sense. Um, But of course, we'll see what happens during free agency. Maybe the Giants go out there sign um, Baker Mayfield, trade for T. Higgins or Brandon Ayuk and leave a gaping hole at offensive tackle that they have to fill in the draft. Totally possible. I don't think that's going to happen, though. And in my opinion, the Giants should be going into free agency, uh, finding help on the offensive line, finding help on defense, especially at CB2, and then going into the draft to plug those other positions where you need talented players there who grow on cost-controlled rookie contracts, like wide receiver, like edge rusher. So that's why I like the A.D. Mitchell pick in this draft, and I like um, Austin Booker pick in this draft. But Joe Alton, number six, not my favorite selection. Overall, I think it was a decent mock draft for the New York Giants, but there's so many mock drafts coming out every single day of Saw another one today um, on NFL.com where the Giants, it was a three-round mock draft. They took Jared Verse, a pass rusher in the first round, waited until round three to get a receiver. And honestly, while we kind of hear something like that, and right now in February, we're very apprehensive to that that idea, and we say, ain't no way, like the Giants got to get a playmaker in those first two rounds, the draft is a crapshoot. And we say that to say... You never know which player is going to pan out, which player is going to be a bust, and you also never know how the draft board is going to fall. It's very much a crapshoot. So we might be talking about certain quarterbacks that we think are going in the top two or the top three that end up going in the top 20, or certain receivers that we think are going in the first two rounds that end up going in the fourth round. Happens every year. The draft is a crapshoot. It's going to be really exciting, though, to see how everything plays out and how the board ultimately does fall for the New York Giants and what they end up doing in free agency and then the draft. And I just can't wait to break it all down. Keep going over different rumors, mock drafts, all the spec. It's the most fun part of making content about the New York Giants, in my opinion. So I'm very excited to be continuing to make this content for you all right here on Fireside Giants. So make sure to leave a like if you did enjoy this episode. Subscribe to the channel if you're new. Ring the bell so you don't miss an episode. Comment your thoughts on the topics down below in the comment section. If you listen to Apple or Spotify, please make sure to leave us a five-star review. Go ahead and follow us on all of our social media channels at Fireside Giants. Without further ado, we will catch you all in the next one. Have a good one, and let's go Giants.